all that in the dark about who this character is as we get into the study. But first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life where you were just experiencing real trouble? And what do you do in that time? Whenever hardships come your way, whenever you're dealing with some sort of difficulty there's, that you found yourself in trouble, what do you do? Do you first run to, to experts and, and start consulting advice from people that, that, that you believe are, are, are able to help in, in this time of need? Do you kind of just curl up in a ball and fall apart and cry and there's just no, no, nothing that can do to bring me out of this situation? Or do you just ignore the problem altogether and say, I, just if, I, if I just for, act like I forget about it, I can just move on and I can leave that problem over there? And if you at any point in those times think, well, he's talking about me, know that no, I'm talking about me. This is how I typically handle problems. If I, if I can't find somebody that knows something about it, and if I can't ignore it, I just don't know what to do. Maybe I'll curl up in a ball and cry. But we have problems in this life. We have things that we have to deal with. And, and not everyone tries to solve their problems the same way. But what I want to talk about this morning is what is the best way? What's the best way for me to address the hardships and the trials and the tribulations that I face in this life? Uh, as we walk on this earth, we're going to be faced with things that are just difficult to deal with. What's the best way for me to approach those things? And one person in the Bible that I think we can learn a lot from is the man David. David was a man that was oftentimes described as being strengthened by the Lord. And, and what I want us to see today is when David is in trouble, what is it that we see David doing? And, and I tell you, David was in a lot of trouble. When you think about David's life, here's some things that happened in David's life that I would define as troublesome to David. One, after he had been anointed by God, he is pursued by the king. God has anointed him as king over Israel and Saul still wanting to, to, to be king and, and he, is, he is not going to, to relinquish his power of the throne. He pursues David and, and several times he tries to assassinate him, tries to have him killed and many of those times David barely escapes having spears hurled while he's in the presence of Saul at, at, at his body. He spends a lot of time because of this hiding in the wilderness. A man appointed by God as king living in a cave fearing for his life. And sometimes he's, he's living in cities and yet these cities seem to turn against him on the, on the flip of a switch. And, and he just is constantly on the run. We see another time in his life when his whole entire family is kidnapped. The friends that have surrounded him that have kind of made his support group at this time, they all turn on him. They're ready to kill him. And we also see times in his life where he has brought the trouble upon himself. You see, what I'm looking at right now are things that just seem to come with the territory of being someone who's been chosen by God to be king, and yet there's another king in the land. And you think, well, that's, that's not a whole lot out of... There's not a lot David could do about that. But what about the shame that came upon him when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? The shame that was upon him when he had her husband murdered. He suffered a great deal because of that, oftentimes because of things that he did. As we go forward in his life, we find that his son Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. And then we find David's other son Absalom goes and kills Amnon. So he's got, he's got his children doing terrible things to one another. And then Absalom raises up a revolt against him and in the process is killed. And you know, 
Richard quoted several times from Job this morning, and so we'll throw one more out, and that's Job 14 and verse 1. And Job 14.1 says, Man's life is short-lived and full of turmoil. And that very well describes David. He lived a troublesome, tumultuous life. And yet somehow he survived all of this. And he came to be remembered as we, as we oftentimes teach our children to sing. Little boy David, son of Jesse, man after God's own heart. How does this happen? How does a man who experiences so much trouble become a man after God's own heart? I believe the answer to that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verses 1 through 6. Now, I want to read that here and we'll talk a little bit about it. This details a time in David's life that we've already mentioned. A time when his family is going to be kidnapped and his friends are going to want to kill him. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1 says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. So we have the Amalekites coming and, and, and uh, they, have, they have destroyed Ziklag. And they had taken captive, verse 2, the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelites, Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man, uh, man and his sons and daughters, but David had strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So this is a great time of trouble, as we've already mentioned in David's life. He is living near Ziklag at this time. And this is also a time when he is fleeing from King Saul. Now, just to show you what's kind of going on here in, in the world of David, uh, Ziklag is down here at the, at the lower part of the promised land that, uh, that, that made up Israel. And he has fled from, from Jerusalem and Bethlehem all the way to Ziklag. So he's come a long way to get away from the persecution of Saul. He's already got that on him. And now we also find that he has sort of aligned himself with the enemy of Saul, the Philistines. The Philistines are getting ready to go into battle, and David's going to go up to battle with them, and they're getting ready to fight Saul. And in fact, this battle is going to take place in Aphek, all the way up here. So he's going to be a long way from home. Along the way, the Philistines say, you know what, I don't think we can trust you, David, because we're fighting Saul, and we know that you are from that same nation. How do we know that you and your men won't turn on us in battle, and then we'll have a, a war on two fronts? So they said, you know what, just, just go home. We don't, we don't need you in this battle. Go back to Siklag. And so he's making this 50-mile journey back. This is a, put it to you this way, this is like going from the other side of Paris, from Carlisle, and traveling back to Nicholasville. You have this long journey in front of you. I'm sure you're going to be very tired. They went off for war. They're prepared for battle. And when they come home, and as they, they maybe round over the hill, you expect to see your city, and what do you find? You find smoke. You find desolation. The, the city has been destroyed, and there's no one there. 
Everyone has been taken uh, captive. The women and children, they've been kidnapped. And this includes David's family. So this is a great, great time of distress in his life. And then you just to, to put the icing on the cake, all of the men that have been with him, they look at him and go, maybe this is your fault. We hadn't followed you into battle. We would have been here. If we hadn't followed you out of the presence of King Saul, we wouldn't have been here. Our families wouldn't have been here. This wouldn't have happened. And so they're, they're ready to kill him. But I want us to notice very carefully that last part of verse 6. David was greatly distressed, yes, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. As we consider... What all has been going on? Let me catch our slide or PowerPoint up. As we consider what all has been going on, we have to focus very, very intently on that verse. David, in a time of great trouble, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this isn't the only place that you can find this. You'll find this happening many times. In times of trouble, David strengthens himself. When, he, when that strength is received, what does he do? He deals with whatever the problem is before him. But what does it mean then? How exactly does he go about doing that? How does he receive this strength from God? How does that, God, that, that strength translate into a solution for the problem that he's dealing with in his life? Well, in an effort to answer that question, I, I've found that it is helpful then to consult the Psalms. Many of the Psalms were written by David in a time when he was experiencing great trouble. And so it is likely that we will find some of the answers in them. And so in the Psalms, what we will find over and over again as he composes these, that he composes them during some of the hardest times of his life. Psalm 59 is a psalm that David wrote when he was being pursued by Saul. Saul is out chasing him, trying to end his life. And he, he writes Psalm 59. And I want to just look at the first four verses of that psalm for a moment and consider the words that he says during that hardship. He says, uh, no, to the chief musician set to do not destroy a victim of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For, they, for look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of my own, or no thought of mine. Awake to help me, and behold. David writes at this time, look, I haven't done anything to deserve this, but look at the situation, God. And he calls and invites God into the problem. Another one that we see that he writes is Psalm 56. Just maybe a page or so back in your Bibles. Psalm 56, verses 1 and 2. At this time, he is imprisoned. And look at the first two verses of this. Be merciful to me, O God. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for, they, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. What is he doing? Yet once again, he's inviting God into the problem and he's saying, taking what he sees, what he sees around him as the, as the issues, he's taking what he sees as his problem and saying, God, let me give this to you. Let me invite you in and let me let you know what I'm dealing with. And at no point do I think that God didn't already know. But this is David's default whenever he deals with issues. In Psalm chapter 3, 
when he is running from his own son Absalom. Remember, Absalom has, has murdered his son Amnon and now he has led a revolt against David. And actually, the revolt is so successful, it makes David have to flee from the city. And in Psalm chapter 3, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say to me, there is no help for him in God. Yet again, David is pointing to, to, to God and, and asking Him to, to come in and to see this situation. And one more we'll look at. Psalm 63. In Psalm 63, a time when David is hiding in the wilderness, consider what this psalm says. O God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I want you to picture David running and and, and hiding in the wilderness and the many things that must be going in his head and what he's saying right now is, God, I need you. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. To those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glorify. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. When we read that, it's kind of hard to picture someone that's running for their life in the wilderness. And that's exactly the the context of uh, of this psalm, this This prayer that is written down that David is bringing up to God and he's saying at this terrible, terrible time, I'm resting in a bed thinking of you. Even when I'm out in the wilderness running for my life, at night, my prayers, my thoughts, my mind, it revolves around who you are, God, and what you have done and how I can be greatly satisfied and overjoyed because of you. And so from these Psalms, what do we learn? From these Psalms, how can we take what David has done and strengthen himself in the Lord and help that to apply to our lives. Well, if we just think about them and as we've talked about them, in Psalm 56, we learn that David places his trust in the Lord. We read verses 3-4, through but also I want to consider verses 9-11. through It says, When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God I will praise His Word. In the Lord I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Oftentimes we're very, very quick to trust in ourselves. To trust in mankind. We trust in our employers to pay us. We trust in our doctors to fix us. We trust in these things that on the surface really nothing wrong with. We, we should look to those things and expect that, but when we trust in those things to provide us security of heart, to provide us uh, contentment in this life, we find that we're trusting in the wrong thing. We find that we're trusting in something that ultimately leads us away from the one thing that truly can secure us in our lives. And that means that we're getting lost. 
lost in, in, in the world, lost in looking to mankind to say, you can solve my problems that I have. If only I had more money, this problem wouldn't be here. If only a new cure would come up, this problem wouldn't be here. Whatever it is, we look to it and we turn our hearts further and further away from God as we turn further and further to the world looking for the solutions to the situations we're in. David said, I will trust in the Lord at this time. And what could he have trusted in? He could have trusted in the strength of the army that was with him. Men with swords that had sworn their lives, given their lives for him. I will die for you, David. He could have trusted in that. He could have trusted in the residents of cities. He could have trusted in other nations. But he trusted in God. He said, that's who's for me. And if he's for me, I have nothing to fear. In Psalm 59, we learn that he continues to praise the Lord during this time when he needs help. Again, as we read at the, at the beginning of that, let's look at the end of verse 16 and 17. It says, But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Now this is a time when, when he's hiding from Saul. I don't know what you think about when you're hiding. When I think about hiding, I think about hide and seek with my children. And there's a reason that nobody really wants to hide with Madden. Because Madden can't be quiet. Madden snickers. When you get close and he's hiding behind something, he's looking out and he sees you walk past, he starts to giggle. And we can find him. So we think if somebody's hiding, they've got to be quiet and they've got to be suppressed. And David says, no! I am hiding and I am letting everyone know who my God is. And I will sing in the morning and I will sing praises to God because God is my defense and I want God to hear my praise. And I have to ask myself, do I, do I do that? Do I continue to praise God whenever things get tough? Whenever things get hard, do I let my mind leave God and begin to revolve around the problem and the circumstance that I am in? And do I become slow in showing my thankfulness? I want you to consider for a moment your, your significant other or someone that's very, very important to you in your life. How would it feel? How would it feel if all I ever did was go to Holly and say, I've got this problem. And I've got this problem. And I've got this problem. And, and I've got this problem. And I'm worried about this. And here's this problem. And at some point... At some point, do I ever think Holly is going to, to say, you know what? Do you trust that I can help you with those problems? Do you trust that maybe I can do something to help with that? Instead of just looking at all the problems, do you ever come into my life and say, how can I help? How can, I, can I let you be a part of my problem? God wants us. As we already have already seen, God wants to, to hear David's words. He already knows the situation David is in. It's not some sort of thing that's hidden from his sight, but he wants David to invite him in. He wants to know that David trusts him enough to bring it to him. But he also wants us to look to him and, and praise him for the past successes, the past salvations that he has given to us. And I believe part of the reason for that is when I begin to do that in my life, when I begin to look at what God has done in my past and praise Him for that and offer up prayers, and maybe I'm going through something really hard now that's completely different from something that happened in the past, but I can look back to that and say, God, I need help now, but I remember how You helped me. 
I remember how you delivered me out of this situation, out of this problem that I was experiencing. And that's praise to God, but that's, that's medicine to me. That is medicine for my soul to remind myself over and over again that God has not just disappeared. In fact, He's been there helping and strengthening me in my times of need. And I should believe that He's going to still do so today. As we continue again, look at Psalm 63. I want us to consider a couple things that this psalm says to us about the character of David. Look at verses 1 and 2. O God, You are my God. Early I will seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh longs for You. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, so I have looked for You in the sanctuary to see Your power and Your glory. In verses 1 and 2, David, during this, this difficult time in his life, as he's, hidden in the, as he's running in the wilderness, he's hiding for his life, he says, what is it that I'm looking for? And when we're in, faced with hardships, we're faced with troubles, we've got a problem in front of us, what is it that we're really looking for? Are we looking for just the, I need the answer. I need the immediate solution. I need to know how to make this problem go away. It seems like a reasonable thing to look at, but that's not what David was looking at. Not as he's hiding in the wilderness. He says, I'm looking for you. I am seeking the Lord. That is what I am trying to find. In verses 3-5, through because your loving kindness is better than life, your lips shall praise you. my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with the morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. As he's dealing with his hardship, he's looking for God. He's looking to praise God. He's looking to pray to Him. But verse 6 and 7 says he's meditating upon Him too. And that seems to be a very foreign concept for us, especially in a Western culture. Meditation, what's that? That's, that's weird. That's different. We don't do things like that. Listen to what he says. When I remembered you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. He says meditation is what causes me to be overjoyed in God. It's not something he's, he goes into to a room and puts himself some sort of... You know, trance to get into this. He says, I'm laying in bed, I'm meditating. Whenever the, the, the air around me is still, whenever the night has come and I'm just trying to rest, my mind is thinking about God. When I'm dealing with problems, my mind is going to God. My mind is entering before God in His throne room to consider who He is, to consider His majesty, to consider His sovereignty, and to consider His love for me. The psalmist is painting a picture. He's painting a picture here of a soul who's truly a friend to God. And he's saying, God, I look for You. That's where my heart is satisfied with. And nothing less will do that. Nothing can satisfy my soul the way that You do, O God. So be near to me. And being near to You is better than life itself. Being near to God in the mind of David was better than even living this life as king of Israel. He said, if I lose all that today, that's fine if I am close to you. That's when I'm full. That's when my life has meaning. That's when I am complete. In each of these Psalms, David is basically saying the same thing, I'm aware. He's saying, in a time of trouble, I am strengthened when I put my trust in the Lord. In a time of trouble, I stay close to Him through prayer 
and through praising Him with my lips. In a time of trouble, I make myself strong and the Lord supports me. And we can do that too. My soul, verse uh, 63, verse 8, my soul follows close behind you and your right hand upholds me. That statement that was true of David can be just as true for us today. It can have just as much power in our lives today. This is how David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is how he was able to face and to overcome his problems with the help that God gave him. And so today, in times of trouble, will we follow David's example? I want to consider just a few thoughts as we think about dealing with problems today. Many times when we face problems today, we face them, even as Christians, on our own. We try to take them upon ourselves and be our own strength and our own, our own source of solution. And this angers God. Sometimes we face problems that are related to family. Sometimes we face problems that are just really deal, dealing with personal concern, things that, that weigh on our heart and our mind and make us worry. And we were watching people, maybe. For, for example, we're watching a loved one that's drawing close to, to life's inevitable end. And, and we're looking at them and we're considering this illness and we're, we're, we're worried about what that illness is doing to them or we're even worried about the state of their soul. And what do we do with that? Or maybe it's related to jobs. You know, some, not all of David's things that he was concerned and worried about were necessarily spiritual. There are plenty of times where he's just concerned with, with physical things of his life, physical problems that were placed before him. And sometimes our jobs and our financial security and our things uh, that, that just deal with our, our life here on earth, they well up and they become like they're too much to bear. And one day we come in, our boss says, you know what, I'm giving you two weeks to find another job. And then, then you're out because we're downsizing. We, we don't have the money. We didn't make the quarterly profit that we thought. We're going to start cutting jobs and you've got two weeks and then you're gone. How do we think about that? How do we deal with an issue like that? How do we deal with with really big problems like that. That's not a small problem. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on my family's table? What am I going to do? And so many times what we do is we cut God out of that picture. And we try to somehow take this on on our own. We try to trust in ourselves. And we don't think about how God is capable, even through the very, very darkest of nights, if we would just meditate upon Him to see who He is, to realize He's capable to help in these situations. See, sometimes we forsake Him entirely. We don't praise Him. We don't pray for Him daily. And you know, when we turn over to passages like Hebrews 10, we talk about neglecting the assembly of the saints. I don't, I don't think about that all too often. About, you know, about the damage that that does amongst our brethren. And it does. It does a great deal of damage when we say, there are other things in my life that are going to be more important than being here with you. That does a great deal of damage. I think about that, what, for me personally, what does that do in relation to my ability to reach out to God and, and, and find Him? And he says, I'm going to tell you where I'm going to be at. Whenever two or three are gathered more in my name, I will be in their midst. And God speaks to us about being with His people. And His people are gathered together to worship and praise Him. What better place for me to go and to be near Him? And knowing that being near to God, I, I, can, I can go through this. I can get through this problem. With the help of God, with the help of my brethren, what better time for me to be taking my problem before the great Creator of the universe? But many say, no, I, I think I've got this. I think I can handle this on my own. 
And as we consider and as on the board behind us, what, what does God view such a person as? Well, if we look at passages like Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30 and verses 1 through 17, Isaiah 31 verses 1 through 9, you know what we find in those passages? We find that God looks at that sort of person and He says that they're cursed. Actually, consider Jeremiah 17 and verses 5 through 8. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness. A land of sale without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, or is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield its fruit. See, in Jeremiah 17, God is looking to the person. He's saying the people that are trying to just take all of this on themselves, it's not cursed as in they're, they're inferior. It's not cursed as they're not as good as the people who lean upon God. He puts them both in the same boat and says you're not able to do it. And that's why you're cursed. That's why you will suffer because you're leaning on a place that has no strength. But those who lean upon God, they're not cursed because they're somehow better they're blessed because they're leaning upon the strength of God. Turn over to Isaiah, and we'll look at uh, just a few of those passages that we mentioned. Isaiah chapter 30, in verses 1 and 2. Consider what he says here. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take, confident, or take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who walk to go down to Egypt? And have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. It's interesting the words that he chooses there. This is a time in Israel's history when they have, they have fractured. And at this time, Judah is, they've seen the northern kingdom be carried off. Assyria is on their way down. Assyria says, you're next. We're coming to get you. And they say, there is a big problem here. What on earth are we going to do? And never once think about the God that brought them into the land, that overturned all of these great nations. And they say, let's go to Egypt. And let's get Egypt to come up here and help us. And God looks at that and He says, you're being rebellious. You're turning away from me. You're not listening to me. He says you add sin to sin. First of all, Assyria is coming down here because of the sin of your life. I told you if you would be faithful to me, then you wouldn't experience this, but you chose not to and you worshiped other gods and you, you did things which I had commanded you not to do. And so now Assyria is coming in, so it's because of sin. And instead of repenting, you're just heaping more sin on the pile by turning to, to Egypt. But even notice the way he says it. He says they strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh to trust in the shadow of Egypt. This isn't even the same Egypt that they had been brought, drawn out of. This isn't even the same powerhouse and mighty nation that it used to be. And he doesn't say you're, you're trusting in the, the great strength of the armies of Egypt. He says you're trusting in the man, Pharaoh, and in the shadow of Egypt. Not even the substance. The shadow. A shadow can do nothing. Seen, seen people who seem to be afraid of their own shadow. We think that is, that is ridiculous to be afraid of a shadow. A shadow can't do anything. And these people are going, but I want that to fight my battle for me. I'm looking to the shadow. That's the way God views it as they lean back to this, to this nation of Egypt for help. In verse 3, consider what He says there, Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, 
And the trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. And he's not done with this same language in the next chapter in verses 1 through 3. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord, yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. God promises, He promises at this time to frustrate the the things that they are trying to do, to frustrate the help that they are trying to receive. He says, you're going about this all the wrong way, and I know there's no hope for you there. And so I'm going to frustrate those efforts. I'm going to stand in the way of you trying to get this help, and I'm going to make it difficult, and I'm going to make it hard. Why? Well, the answer to that is found in these verses. Look at back in chapter 30, verse 15 and 16. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, therefore you, those who pursue you shall be swift. And if you also add that to what he says in the very next chapter, starting in verse 4, Thus the Lord has spoken to me as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him. He will not be afraid of their voice nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill like birds flying about. So will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem, defending it. Uh, Defending he will also deliver it. Passing over he will preserve it. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. For in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, sin which, made, uh, which your own hands have made for yourselves. Then Assyria shall fall. By a sword not of man, by a sword not of mankind, shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword. And his young men shall become forced labor. And he shall cross over to his stronghold for fear. And his princes shall be afraid of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. In both those verses he says, look, Why am I doing all these things? Because I want you to see where true power lies. I want you to turn to me for hope. I want you to turn to me for security. And if you will do that, he says the battle won't even be a battle. Notice how he's describing it there. He's describing there's lions and there's birds and there's all these imagery of things that are just destroying this army. The army is running in fear and it's not of man. And it's not of mankind. And yet we have to remember this is figurative language that, that we're talking about here, but God is coming to them saying, that's my power, and it's not yours. And it's not found anywhere else on this earth. It's only found in me. And so even today, as we deal with problems, what is it that we put our trust in? In James chapter 4, James chapter 4 and verse 8 says for us to not be doubly minded, Other translations you might have not to be a doubter. But consider as as we go to God in prayer and as we take our issues before Him, not to be uh, double-minded in requesting His help. James 4, verse 8, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. God is talking to people who are just looking everywhere for their solutions. And he says, you can't, you can't look to me and look to the world. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 6 and 7, 
says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. In fact, we would see that not putting our cares, giving our cares to God and not putting our trust in God, that's a sign of being standing before Him with an impure heart. And so what's the truth of all of this? The truth is we have been infected by a saying that says God helps those who help themselves. I'm sure many of us have heard that phrase before. It's quoted all the time, such as one would believe it's even Scripture. But you won't find that in the Bible. That is not a word or a phrase or even a, a, a paraphrasing of a thought that comes from Scripture. In fact, to that statement, God helps those who help themselves, I would have to say no. I don't believe that at all. God notoriously helps those who couldn't help themselves who were helpless, who had no hope, no ability at all to do what they did, and God steps into their lives. No, instead, I would say God helps those who trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding. This is strength. This is power. And this is might revealed to us from God. When we are completely and utterly helpless, He is there waiting to help looking for us to let go of the crutches of our own reliability, let go of all of the the cords and all of the connections that we have made to this world to say this is where my, my, my hope is found and to hold on to Him and be embraced in His arms. I hope that we'll learn from the experience of a man who dealt with great problems in his life, David. In times of trouble, David leaned upon the Lord and he looked to God for strength. We should do this today. We should trust in Him. We should be steadfast in praising Him. Steadfast in prayer. We should never forsake Him and turn our hearts away to other places. And we shouldn't forsake His people either. Coming before them and saying, look, I have a problem and I'm taking it to God and I want you to take it to God with me. And let's all lean upon Him together. And let what David said of himself be true of us. Psalm 63, verse 8, My soul clings to You. Your right hand upholds me. Are we clinging to God today? If you've ever walked through the woods, if you've ever walked through a, a, a field, I don't know what they're called. I grew up them, calling them Klingons. And I know that's got a different name or a different context to itself. But those little green triangle things, and you get them on your pants and For the life of me, I can't ever get them all off. I'm trying to pick them off, and as soon as I think I've got them all, I'll find another and another. Do I cling to God? Is there any possible way that the problems of this world could ever just pick me off of Him completely? Or am I just so ingrained in my trust for Him and in my need for Him that this verse describes me, that I am held up by His right hand? I want us to remember that God is our source of strength. He is our source of deliverance. He is our source of true happiness. Will we trust in Him? Are there problems in our life that we are fighting over and over again and we're allowing those problems to to weigh us down? What I would ask you this afternoon or this morning is that have you considered that you may, like Israel, be looking to the wrong source for the solution to your problem? Is it possible that God is frustrating your efforts to try and resolve your own issues 
Because He longs and loves you. Longs for you and loves you and wants you to come to Him. That's hard for us to do today. To admit that I need somebody else's help and I need to do something. I need to do something with my life to try and reach out to Him. Because we live in a world of quick fixes. We live in a world of let's fix the symptoms. I don't like the way my joints feel. I don't like the way my body looks. I don't like the way that, that I, my, my health has been. We go to the doctor and they say, well, you can't eat that way anymore. And we say, but is there a pill? Because I want the quick fix. There are lots of quick fixes to problems like fear, loneliness, depression. There are lots of quick fixes to our financial situations and, and, and to even family situations. But there's only one true solution. God is that solution. He can solve our problems. I'm not saying He takes them away. In fact, oftentimes what He did to David just gave him a new way to look at it. A way, a way that made him realize I'm not defeated by these problems. In fact, God is glorified and because of that I can be glorified too. But especially when it pertains to the problem of the guilt of sin. God has given us the only solution. Are we totally and completely ready to follow Him? Because at this moment in our lives, we have become lost. And we are dying in our sins. And at that time, God stands ready saying you are helpless. But I will be your help. I will give you hope. And all He does is He invites us into His world to take faith in Him. And I want you to consider what that looked like in David's life. David didn't just, I believe that God is out there somewhere and so everything is going to be fine. That changed the way David lived. There were physical changes in the things that he did that he would not do without the belief that God could protect. We must recognize that today. If we are to have faith like David did in God, we are to seek after Him. We are to follow Him. We are to obey Him. Are we faithfully doing that today? I invite you this morning to choose to do so right now. If it would be your desire to, to come forward and to talk about that, and we will learn what God, what God has commanded for you to receive of the great and, and, and free gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have a hope of eternal life with Him in heaven. It would be my desire to help you and study along with you in that. Whatever it is we can do to help you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.